Hello, and welcome to the Bamboo Lab Podcast with your host, Peak Performance Coach, Brian Bosley. Are you stuck on the hamster wheel of life, spinning and spinning, but not really moving forward? Are you ready to jump off and soar? Are you finally ready to sculpt your life? If so, you've landed in the right place. This podcast is created and broadcast just for you. All of you strivers, thrivers, and survivors out there. If you'd like to learn more about Brian and the Bamboo Lab, feel free to reach out to explore your true peak level at www.bamboolab3.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the Bamboo Lab podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brian Bosley. And today I want to start off by uh, reading a, a heart letter we received, I don't know, it looks like May 1st. We pulled this one up. And this one just said, if you haven't checked out the Bamboo Lab podcast, I highly recommend it. Grand Rapids um, native Brian Bosley does a bang up job interviewing and listening and recapping. It's definitely worth the time. So I want to thank that, that Bamboo Pack member for reaching out. And I want to thank every one of you who reach out on a daily basis, sending us letters, texts, cards, emails. And I want to thank you. I can't air them all on the podcast, but I do read every one of the letters that are sent in in the text. And I treasure each one of those. They're all saved in a file. And whenever I'm having a bad day, I go back to those and I read them again. You inspire me. So um, I'm going to take the time before we introduce, before we even introduce uh, the guests we have on today, I want to uh, just take a moment and uh, say to, to, before we introduce his, his name, I want to let the Bamboo Pack audience know that this episode is dedicated to his two children, Amber and Brandon. So everything we do today is in honor of them. And so before we, so I'll get started now, I'm going to introduce Amon Catalan, okay? This, this guy's story is flipping amazing. He was introduced to me by retired Marine Corps Colonel John Barnett. John has talked about him over the years, and he's like, you got to get Amon on the podcast. So we finally talked last week. I think we talked for a full hour. So I'm going to, his bio is so extensive that I can't read it all, but I'm going to give you the, just the beginning and the end. So Aman was born in Guatemala, and he immigrated to Los Angeles, California when he was 13 years old. He'll tell this story. And he entered the Marine Corps in October of 1994 at Charlie Company, 1st Battalion. Now, years later, Sergeant Major, Major Callan, uh, when he retired, he has awards that consist of, bear with me, he probably doesn't want me to say this because he's a fairly humble guy, but... The awards he won, Legion of Merit, Bronze Star Medal with Combat Distinguished um, Device, and Gold Star in lieu of second award, Purple Heart Medal, Meritorious Service Medal with two gold stars in lieu of third award, Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal with a gold star in lieu of second award, Navy and Marine Corps Achievement Medal with gold star in lieu of second award, Combat Action Ribbon with a gold star in lieu of second award, and then Sergeant Major Catalan is the father of those two fine children I just mentioned earlier, Amber and Brandon. And I believe Brandon's going to be playing uh, football here, starting as a freshman here coming up. So anyway, that's it, man. He's going to, he's going to fill in all the gaps because his story is inspiring. Aman, my new friend, welcome to the Bamboo Lab podcast. Thank you for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, I really thank you. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's an opportunity. You know, to, to tell a little bit of uh, a little bit of my story, and, and you know, I'm always willing to you know tell everybody you know the story that what I went through in my life. Well, you have a darn good story, man. I got off the phone with you last week, and my 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 girlfriend came came home, and I was like, oh my god, I I'm like, this is amazing. I got to meet this guy that John's been trying to connect me with for so long. I said we finally talked on the phone. We I had a half hour schedule. We talked a full hour. And I said, I was mesmerized the entire time. So I'm so excited that you get to share your story and your wisdom and your experience with uh, the Bamboo Pack audience. So let's get started. I got to know a lot about you um, last week and through John and then through some of the your bio and things of that nature. But can you please share with the Bamboo Pack audience a little bit about yourself, your childhood, your family, where you're from, like we mentioned earlier, and anybody or anything that inspired you as you grew up? Just start and I'll take notes. Awesome. So I'm originally from a, sp a small town called Esquintla from uh, Guatemala, Central America. Um, you know, I, I grew up there. I was born there. Uh, my mom, you know, uh, she, uh, when I was six years old, I, I, you know, she was in a very abusive relationship. 
with my father and uh, ended up, uh, you know, abusing my mom pretty bad to the fact that one night, uh, you know, he came very drunk and, and, you know, and, you know, hurt her pretty bad. And we took off to her grandparents' uh, house. So we left my dad's house, took off to her grandparents' house. And uh, she ended up almost immediately uh, leaving, dropping us with my grandparents and immediately, you know, taking a chance uh, and departing to the United States from Guatemala illegally. Uh, I grew up there from the age of six, you know, all the way to 13 until my mom was able to send for us, uh, you know, through, uh, through, you know, one of my uncles who acted as a coyote to bring us back into the United States. Uh, growing up in Guatemala, you know, it's, uh, I grew up very humble, you know, very humble beginnings, you know, uh, we had water half of the day, uh, you know, run electricity. Was, there was no phones. Uh, there was, uh, you know, dirt roads. And we grew up hunting and fishing, uh, which was, you know, it was good. I, I think that that, you know, gave me a, a good expectation later on in life. Or a good, actually, a good lesson later on in life was being thankful for everything that you have. Uh, and I always been, you know, given the opportunity, you know, I admire my mom's vision because she took off the United States. And uh, as soon as she arrived here, she was a maid and uh, she was a, a maid that lived in a house for some people that she was working at the time. And, you know, she cleaned that house. She took care of the kids. And while, you know, we are in Guatemala for six years, she did that. Uh, that's a hell of a challenge, if you ask me, you know, I mean, like uh, in the military, we a lot of times we complain. You know, about going on deployment, you know, for six, seven months at a time, a year at a time. And I could not fathom to understand to leave my kids behind for six years. You know, that's, that just blew my mind. Uh, so that came to play later in my career because I always said if my mom did it for six years, going to war for seven, it's not that bad. You know, so mm-hmm. that, that, that always, that, that always resonate with me, you know, and, uh, uh, I knew that my kids were in good hands, just like, you know, she knew that we were in good hands with my grandparents. Uh, growing up with my grandfather, you know, I consider him my dad, uh, and my grandma as well, you know, um, they, they instilled me a lot of ethos and values. And my grandfather was a warrior, fought different wars and stuff like that, you know, and, uh, but he was a fisherman and he was a hard worker, you know, the, the epitome of hard work, right? He, he would, you know, wake up at three o'clock in the morning and, and you know, go pick up bread and uh, from a, a bakery and pedal his bicycle, you know, 20 miles to go sell the bread and make some profit out of it. And, uh, and then come home from that. And then we go to the river and go fishing and, you know, and just, you know, did everything to provide for, you know, ends meet, you know, with whatever we could. Until my mom, you know, starts sending money from, you know, from whatever she got left over, uh, here for her job while she's saving for a house and saving for brings over here, whatever it was left over, she was sending to my grandma. So we have food and clothes and all that stuff. So that's a, that's a hell of a sacrifice. You know, once I said, I said, became an adult, you know, I was like, how did she do that? You know, she left the country. With nothing, you know, nothing. Didn't know the language, the, you know, communication barrier, and you know, she managed to work, you know, and be able to save money for a house, save money for them bring, and then still live her life. You know, that was it, it's, it's just amazing, you know. And uh, so, at the age of thirteen, uh, she sent out for us. My uncle came and, uh, uh, you know, he flew to Guatemala, and we took a bus from Guatemala uh, to uh, Mexico City, which is the capital of Mexico. And uh, from there, uh, we took a plane. Um, while we were there, my uncle was like, hey, you know, here's a $100 bill. Put it right in between my Guatemalan passport. We were going to fly from uh, Mexico City to, Tiju- to Tijuana. Uh, and then and debark in Tijuana, which we did. So we flew to Mexico, from Mexico to Tijuana. And it was my brother, my youngest brother, uh, which is three of us, you know, my oldest brother, Werner, and my youngest brother, Hugo. Uh, my, my youngest, my oldest brother had left the year prior. You know, he already had gone through the journey. And he was already with my mom. Okay. Um, you know, my brother, my youngest brother and I, uh, we traveled with my uncle. So when we flew from Mexico, I arrived in Tijuana. 
Um, you know, I, I look, uh, I don't look Hispanic at all. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm 6'3", you know, light eyes, and I had like a little bit of blonde hair. And uh, there was an American couple that was debarking from the plane. And my uncle's like, hey, why don't you get in between those two Americans and you look like their son and pretend that you're their son when you're debarking and just, you know, when you see your aunt at the exit, just run towards her. That's exactly what I did. You know, as soon as the, you know, the plane was about to debark, I got in between the couple. Uh, I came out, you know, I was nervous. You know, I had a, I had a watermelon passport, which, you know, they, they scrutinize that in Tijuana, even though still, uh, most, most people, when you get arrived in Tijuana, they know that if you got some type of foreign passport that you are trying to enter the United States. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <clears throat> I got in between the couple and, um, uh, in the immigration department from Mexico, let me go through. You know, uh, thinking that I was the son of this American couple. Uh, my uncle and my brother were not that lucky. Uh, they got stopped by immigration, and uh, they, my uncle gave him the passport. In between the passport, there was a $100 bill, and the immigration officer took the $100 bill, gave him back the passport, and let him go through. <laughs> you know, so uh, that's how we ended up in Tijuana. And uh, I said, we're in Tijuana. You know, my aunt uh, was there. My mom was who, you know, was still illegal. <clears throat> she was still illegal. She couldn't travel. She came back to the United to Tijuana, you know, cross the border, knowing that she has to cross the border again mm-hmm. uh, with us, you know. So she had, you know, but she was like, there's no way I'm going to let my two kids cross by themselves. You know, if something happens, I want to be with them. So she came across the border and, uh, you know, we were there for a couple of hours. And then, you know, we met this 15-year-old Mex- uh, Mexican national. Uh, if you, you know, if you could picture Tijuana, there's a flag, a big, you know, Mexican flag. Uh, and right around there, you know, we took off running. Uh, you know, it was dark. It was the middle of the night. And we took off running uh, with my mom and along like all the four people. And uh, we got to the fence, the big fence that divides the United States and Tijuana and Mexico. And we there was a hole on it. We were underneath the hole. Uh, and it started running, you know, and then once we went underneath the hole, we didn't stop running. Uh, you know, I remember my, you know, dragging my brother and my mom, you know, just, you know, my mom, you know, she was in a pure adrenaline rush, you know, and then we got to a 7-Eleven in San Ysidro in the United States. Uh, when we came out there, uh, you know, uh, there was a guy waiting for us you know, in a big car, you know, something like that, a Cadillac, you know, big, big, just a big vehicle. And, um, you know, it's like we got in the car and then we waited for the sun offer uh, checkpoint to go on, on green and we crossed the border and landed in South Central Los Angeles, which was a rude awakening for me because not <laughs> what I expected by the United States. You know, I mean, I went from, uh, you know, all hunting iguanas being on a river and, you know, just, you know, being a country boy to, South Central Los Angeles. I didn't know what, what the ghetto was. There was no ghetto where I lived. It was poor people and rich people. That's all that mattered. There was no discrimination or nothing like that. So it was it was an interesting upbringing uh, right there in South Central LA. And uh, you know, so I was I was in South Central, you know, and you know, growing up in Guatemala, you know, I was also an athlete. So I played volleyball, and that kind of like me in a good direction, not knowing, uh, you know, what I was going to embark in the United States, you know, because when we arrived, uh, I didn't go to school for like the first year that I was here in the United States because, you know, we were worried about immigration and all that stuff. And uh, so my mom used to work at Beverly Hills. So I would go to Santa Monica Beach and play volleyball there. And I met some, that's where I met my coach, Doug McGorian, and played volleyball for him. But, you know, I also, you know, you got to remember this, you know, I'm playing volleyball for a guy in Santa Monica, but I live in South Central LA, you know, so it was two different, two different worlds, you know, that I had to maneuver through just because, you know, in South Central, you know, at that time, 1986, 87, they weren't not that many people uh, that were not black in that neighborhood. You know, there was, I was one of the, and that was one of the first kids that looked white in that neighborhood. So it was interesting growing up as, uh, just because I didn't look the same and I didn't speak the language. I didn't speak a lick of English. You know, uh, when I first, you know, I was didn't understand what they were saying. You know, a lot of times I'd be in out because 
uh, I look white, you know, and all that stuff, you know. So uh, it, it was just interesting upbringing in South Central LA. And uh, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, I ended up, uh, ended up, uh, you know, joined the Marine Corps from South Central LA. You know, uh, uh, I graduated in 1992, though, and. Uh, in 1992, I hurt my knee pretty bad. My dreams of, you know, playing D1 volleyball were gone. So I was trying to figure out, and it was like, well, uh, you know, how, what am I going to do next? You know, I don't want to be in that statistic. My mom sacrificed so much to bring me here. I got to do something with my life. And uh, by this time, I loved the country. I mean, I, I love everything it has to offer, the opportunities. I was, I, you know, I was... I'm not American. I'm not American by birth, but I'm an American by choice, you know. And I, I, I decided uh, that uh, you know I was going to do something to protect what this country has given me so far, which was uh, you know the freedoms to to you know to chase my dreams, you know. And and that's exactly what I did. I figured that paying back, you know, was serving. And uh, so I ended up joining the military at the age of 20, going on 21 in 1994. And uh, joined the military, you know, my first few years in the Marine Corps, I hated it. I, I, I was never thought that I was going to love the way I loved the Marine Corps. Uh, but my first years was rough because I didn't understand a lot. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was still kind of complicated. I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps. You know, I did not, I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps. Uh, you know, it was just, I knew that it was something positive. I saw this. I remember uh, my buddy, you know, who, you know, we are a little, you know, intoxicated. We saw this uh, uh, this army recruiter who we went to the army office and they, he kicked us out. He was like, you know, you guys are drunk. Get the hell out, you know. And, and I remember the Marine Corps recruiter came in and he looked good. He smelled good. And, and I was like, man, this guy's got going, you know, what got it going on. He came and talked to us. And he was like, you know, I was like, man, you know, it's like, you know, I don't want to talk to you anymore because your brother kicked us out. And, then, you know, backstory between services is like, the Army is not my brother. I'm a Marine. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means, man, but either way, you know, don't care, you know. Uh, uh, either way, I don't care. And, uh, but I do want what you have, which he had a nice car, he had nice clothes, he smelled good, and he had money, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that was part of it, too, us joining, you know? I was like, you know what? He told me what he did, and I was sold, you know? And uh, ended up, you know, serving, you know, I had to, I had to do too well on the test. I scored pretty low on the test, and my choice was either cook or infantry man. And uh, I didn't want to cook, so I chose the infantry, and uh, like I said, I didn't know what the infantry was going to tell you. I didn't know what it was about. I didn't know that it was going to be tough, you know, and it, it, it ended up being the best choice I ever made for my life. Uh, ended up, you know, staying for 26 years and, uh, you know, doing all kinds of slew jobs from, you know, from drill instructor to combat instructor to recruiting to multiple combat tours, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I did everything that I wanted to do in the Marine Corps, and it was, uh, it, well, it was a blessing, you know, because, you know, I experienced a lot of things that most people didn't have uh, the opportunity to experience. Well, uh, and um, therefore, Aman, why was their first year so challenging for you? You had mentioned you didn't like it your first year, you hated it. What were some of the challenges you faced that first year? Was it just the, was it, a, well, I didn't know what to expect or what? Um, I, I think it had to do with me, uh, you know, I'm just having a little bit of uh, not, or entitlement and not just entitlement and not having direction. Okay. I, I grew up with a mom who was a hard worker, you know, and but didn't have, you know, after my grandfather, we left my grandfather, didn't have so much of a male role. So I was not even still some ethos and values that I believed on, you know, uh, the ethos and values that I believed on. Almost came from the streets, you know, the, the code of ethics that you, you kind of believe on. And, you know, during the Marine Corps, you know, you, you either conform to the Marine Corps ethos or you don't, you know, or either you accept them. And the problem is that they were not explained to me thoroughly, if that makes sense. Okay. And, we, you know, and it didn't, that didn't explain to me thoroughly is that I didn't know how to apply it in my life. You know, I didn't quite understand them a lot until about two years into it. Then when it came to play, that I was like, oh, this makes sense, though. 
you know, and I adopted him 100% for adopting, you know, what is, you know, you know, the, you know, what is honor and what is courage, what is commitment, you know, and, uh, you know, what, what is, you know, to be able to serve something bigger than yourself, you know, and, uh, lead by example, you know, you know, what is, you know, what is fostering a sense of ownership or personal, or, or, or personal belongings, you know, uh, you know, things like that, you know, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you know, you gotta be able to understand and believe on, but it's not, you can't, Put a, you can't describe. You have to live it, you know, to understand it. You know, uh, what is cohesion? You know, it's like uh, things like that that you know. Like I said, I never heard of it before because I've never been experienced to that. I mean, I played, I play sports, but never to the level of what camaraderie is and what's cohesion and what's sphere of the core. You know, uh, how you know people make you feel and what the unit makes you feel. You know, live those experiences later on. You know. Um, it's just, you know, I had a hard rock. And I said, nobody explained that to me. And mm-hmm. it took me a while to actually figure it out and start getting it. And, you know, start, you know, put them into, you know, uh, okay, this is my, this is, these are mine now. These are not the Marine Corps. This is what I believe on, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I tell you, it shaped my life. It, it didn't define, uh, you know, who I was. It actually refined who I became. You know, and that was those are lessons that I went through my life that I never let, you know, every duty station, you know, define me. I never refine the individual that I was going to become, if that makes sense. Say that again, because I think that's so powerful. You told me that last week on the phone. Don't let your if I could paraphrase that is that don't let your past define who you are, but let. Say that if you could say that again, because I want to make sure I get yeah, that. It was like you know, don't let your past define who you are. Let it refine who you're gonna become. Mm. You know, and it, it, to me, like I say, that that came to play. You know, uh, you know, later on in life, you know, because you know, I was, you know, I started as a young infantryman, and as a, you know, when I was retired, I started to major. You know, everything comes to full circle. You know, and so you try to pass those things to where like. You know, I didn't want people to say, oh, yeah, Sergeant Major Cattle, that was the drill instructor guy. I didn't want to say Sergeant Major Cattle, oh, that was the, the combat guy. You know, I wanted to say Sergeant Major Cattle, uh, you know, he's a Marine's Marine, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's, a, he's a good man, you know, he's a great he's a great leader, you know, you know, that's what I wanted to say. Not so much defined on one certain thing, you know, but they knew they could come to me because based on my experience, you know, I could give them a, 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 you know, a very smart answer on what we're about to embark because I lived it. I did it. I, you know, it was not that I read it in a book. I actually did it. You know, mm-hmm. that was my thing in the Marine Corps that I wanted to experience the hardest duties that a Marine Corps had to offer, you know, so I could look somebody in the eyes and be like, all right, you're going to be okay. I've been there. You know, so to me, that was powerful more than anything else, if that makes sense. Dude, that, that is one of the coolest statements I've ever heard. Do not let your past define you. Let it refine who you are. Let it refine who you become. I, I want to hear a little bit. Of, you had mentioned some things about your grandpa last time we talked, and he was kind of a hero of yours growing up. Can you talk a little bit about his, his story and how he impacted you? Uh, 100%. You know, my grandfather was, you know, a terrible individual, you know, he ended up uh, leaving the house when he was 13 years old. And, uh, you know, he went to fought, you know, against some of the guerrillas during that time. And, uh, he, uh, you know, from then, you know, he, uh, he had an issue with, uh, you know, with Catholics, you know, uh, something happened where he renounced being a Catholic and somewhere in between the 1950s and 60s, he, he found God again, but he found it to the uh, 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 becoming a Mormon. You know, he met some elders, uh, and he became a Mormon. He became a bishop of the church, and uh, you know, and this is something you don't hear that often, especially in a ninety-nine point nine percent Catholic country. You know, saying that he's Mormon. You know, he was a bishop, but he was a great man. Like I said, we didn't have much. But we had elders at our house all the time. And uh, he fed him whatever little we had, 
he fed him, you know, he, they, you know, they talk Bible, they talk God and they talk, you know, everything. And to me, that was a hell of an impact because he taught me that, you know, uh, you, you gotta believe, you know, uh, that you gotta believe, in, you know, in, in who you are, you know, and, uh, you know, he was true to himself, you know, where, uh, he established his beliefs to the church, uh, you know, to the LDS church. And I'm not actually LDS anymore, but I did get baptized, you know, which was funny because when I always say, it's like, you know, I'm not active, people always like assume that I'm still Mormon, uh, but I'm not, you know, it's just, got, you know, it was my grandfather. And when we came to the United States, which is, we're not part of the church, but he was an amazing man. Uh, you know, like he, he you know, they, he worked for the railroad and they couldn't pay him. So they gave him land. So him and other people established what's called the colony of the railroad worker. And that's where I grew up on. That's the town that I grew up on. When he passed away, there was thousands of people that came, you know, to, to pay their respects because he was such a great man. Uh, so, you know, that, you know, he did, you know, he never said no to people that needed help. Uh, and it's such, such a great message with everything. I mean, I, actually, uh, he's one of, one of my heroes and, you know, execute like work, you know, so hard and, you know, give everything he could to support, uh, uh, you know, and that, that to me is still hard work that takes, you know, that you always got to work hard. And, and a lot of lessons learned between my grandfather and my mom, you know, it's like I'm a firm believer that in order to gain something, you must sacrifice something, mm. you know. So, like, you know, my mom was like, you know, she wanted to gain a bigger future for a better future for us. But that means she needed to sacrifice six years of seeing her kids. You know, uh, my grandfather, you know, he knew that he had to provide for food on the table. That means he had to sacrifice his time daily, waking up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, doing what he needed to do. You know, so th those lessons, you know, put a hell of a work ethic that reflected upon my, you know, my time in the Marine Corps, you know, and uh, it was, you know, I, I want to say it was the bedrock of my, uh, you know, the foundation as a, as a, my ethical work, you know, where, you know, I was, I had to work hard no matter what, if I wanted to be successful and things had to give, you know, so you got to understand what you were given. And that was my grandpa said, you got to understand what you're giving up in order to understand what you're going to gain, you know, I just want to stop for a minute because I think for the audience out there, for you or who are driving or maybe you're running or on your treadmill or you're doing something around your house or office, I want to encapsulate some of the things that Aman has already said that I, I mean, I've got a half a page of notes already, but I circled a few things that he said that really stuck out to me. Be thankful for what you have. I mean, look where Aman came from. Uh, grew up very humble, impoverished, no phones, water half the day. But so thankful for the people around him. He hunted, he fished. He, his mother, I mean, when he was six years old, you know, had to go to the U.S. and, and work as a maid. I mean, but he decided I'm not going to be a statistic. You know, he he loves he got to this country and look at how he came across. He ran across the border, went through a hole and just took off running to a 7-Eleven. I mean, what the hell, man? We So many of us can't relate with to that. But he loves this country. And he told me last time we talked that he made that statement that I'm uh, I'm American by choice. And I think that is the definition of a true American right there. Um, I love that he said about, you know, you want the desire and the need to serve something bigger than yourself. You know, as we go through life and we try to, we try to gain success and we try to gain you know, whatever that might mean to you, when you can abdicate the desire to grow for just to and say, I'm not doing it just for me, I'm doing it for something greater than me, whether it be your country, your, your family, your clients, or the world as a whole, man, that's a strong motivation. And, and, and you know, your, your, his grandpa, you know, going from Catholicism to becoming a Mormon, that takes a lot of balls, man, in a country that's 90 some percent Catholic. And he just like he, he told Amon, believe in who you are. I mean, he clearly believed in who he was. And that that clearly spreads to Amon. And I'm sure it spreads to his two children, too, now. And I like the idea of to gain something, 
We have to sacrifice something. And we are, I think, as a, as a, as a human race, we are so afraid of what we might lose. But if you're not going to let go of the rock you're holding on to, you're never going to climb to the next rock. You've got to be able to let go of something you have right now and destroy something maybe that you created in order to create something even better in life. And I love the idea he talked about having ethos and values and how when he got to the Marine Corps, it took him a while to understand the Marine Corps ethos and values. And that just goes to show you how important having a set of values in your life are so you can make decisions based on those. I mean, but the best thing he says is do not let, you know, don't be defined by what you've done, but be refined by, by who you're going to become. I mean, I th that's one of the most profound statements I've heard. And that's now that the second time I've heard it because he, he said it to me last week on the phone. So I don't mean to interrupt you, my friend, but uh, that you've, yeah. you, you've covered a lot of good stuff. Now, I you would share with me uh, last time we talked a little bit about your father wasn't really in your life growing up, but he was a fairly well-to-do man, wasn't he? Fairly wealthy man. hundred percent. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was, you know, he was a very smart individual. You know, just make poor choices. Uh, you know, which again, lessons learned, right? And I think that I, you know, I always took the opportunity to, you know, be able to take a step back and, you know, and you know, especially as I got older, look back and it's like, you know, this was a hell of a lesson for me to, you know, to to have, you know. Uh, when you have an individual who, you know, he retired pretty young. I mean, he retired in his 40s uh, with a lot of wealth in, in Guatemala, you know. And I, he became an alcoholic, you know. And then alcohol ruined his life and ended up dying of alcoholism, you know. And uh, uh, But he was very, very wealthy, very smart, very eloquent too. But, uh, you know, you know, alcohol took his, you know, took that away from him. And then, uh, you know, everything that he was, you know, transform him into something that uh, most of us did not want to be around. Uh, did not want to be around. But, you know, uh, yeah, you know, and then, you know, typical story of a wealthy man, you know, he didn't even marry my mom, you know, he shocked out with my mom, you know, and then, uh, uh, you know, got with my mom and had two kids and he had previous kids and, you know, it, it, it's just a, you know, a whole different, you know, chapter of my life but it's interesting because I, uh, uh, my sister, who was my half-sister, I got two half-sisters, two half-brothers through him, and like three more that I don't know about. You know? Um, and there's, of course, my brother and I, who are, and then my oldest brother, who my mom's uh, half and sometimes different other guy. Uh, you know, but, you know, it, it, was, it was just, you know, a lot of lessons came from, from him, even, you know, even though they were bad lessons, I think I was able to turn him around and, uh, kind of showed me to be the man that I, that I didn't want to become. You know, I understood what alcohol did. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, like, I went through a dark spot in my life after I came back from Iraq in 2005. And, and I went, I understand what, how the powerful, uh, how powerful alcohol is and, you know, be able to influence, you know, your lifestyle and almost, you know, destroy you if you don't know how to control it. If that makes sense. It does. Well, I'm going to skip to that question right now. We'll come back to some of the other questions, but I'd like to ask you, Alon, what was the darkest period of your life? What was the most challenging thing you've ever overcome in your life? Um, you know, I, wanted, I think that coming back from Iraq in 2005 was very challenging. Uh, it was, again, you know, it's hard for me to comprehend what I went through in Iraq on my first tour. You know, uh, you know I, I have seen that before. Uh, I watched people get shot in South Central. You know, I, I was exposed to people, you know, being murdered and stuff like that in the streets, you know. That, to me, was not uh, traumatic. Uh, I think what did it for me was uh, when you start losing people uh, that you know and and you were there and you survived. And it was kind of like a little survivor's guilt, you know. Uh, uh, that, that put me into a hell of a depression. 2005, you know, uh, coming back to 2006, you know, I was, you know, being in, uh, arriving in Iraq, you know, in, uh, in, uh, you know, from uh, August of 2005 to January 2006, and I was, you know, with 7th First Marines, and uh, my first week there, I got wounded, you know, and then my two weeks later, I got wounded again, you know, and it was challenging, you know, seeing that, it, you know, it, you know, it makes you think everything that you have. I mean, I remember my first time I got wounded, I was being thrown up in, in the air and I literally saw my life flashing um, up on my eyes, you know, and I was like, uh, 
I was thinking like, man, I'm not going to see my little girl get married, you know? And I just had a baby girl in 2002, you know, and she was three years old. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a hell of an experience 2000, that year, you know, just because it was all new to me, uh, you know, experiencing watching, you know, seeing body parts of a young little girl, you know, and, you know, watching young ladies die. Uh, I came back and I didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, I didn't know. I couldn't understand it. I didn't know. I was putting up a front, you know, being a leader of Marines, right? You know, I was trying to be the strong guy, leader Marines, but close doors, I was, I was falling apart. You know, I didn't know how to deal with it. And uh, when I came back, uh, you know, I, I started drinking heavily, and uh, you know, this is one of the things to like. You go to work and you put up a face, put up a mask, you know, and you know, and, and be the you know strong Marine, you know, leader of Marines, you know. You, you got awarded those accolades, and but then uh, when you close the door, you just don't understand and comprehend, you know. And uh, it was a challenging period of time, and uh, luckily I had good friends that I talked to, and uh, you know, I, you know, I took some of my father, you know, my grandfather's things to where, like, hey, you gotta, you gotta be yourself, you gotta know yourself, and I needed help, and uh, I ended up, you know, getting help and uh, being able to, you know, get out of that dark hole, uh, and. I think deploying in 2007 again back to Iraq, uh, you know, was therapeutic for me, you know, because I was back at it and understood. And then once again, it's like the Marine Corps, it took me a little while to understand, you know, and then uh, this time in 2007 was very therapeutic. And then uh, going back to, and then going back to Afghanistan in 2010, which it was a more uh, hectic deployment than it was in 2005. Uh, but since my lessons learned for 2005, I was able to handle a lot more uh, than I experienced in 2010. I was able to help out more Marines to deal with those types of situations. But definitely, you know, 2006 was my challenging time and uh, understanding what is, you know, when you return from combat and, you know, having to understand yourself, the, the traumatic changes that your life has gone through, you know, and. It's not like I overcome it because you can't. You know, you can't erase memories that you went through. You know, I was still young Marines. I was like, hey, you've got to learn how to, you know, how to learn, how, you know, how to learn how to uh, live with them because, you know, you don't forget your first kiss. You know, you don't forget, you know, that's, you know, you know, you, you know, your, your wedding day. You know, you don't forget those those things that impact your life. You know, so what makes you think that you're gonna forget seeing somebody dying? You know, what makes you think that you're going to, you know, be able to, you know, completely wipe out what the hardest time in your life has been, you know, whether every night, every day that you went out on the wire, you didn't know if you're coming back alive. You know, I mean, uh, you know, I, there six times that, I, you know, I could have died, you know, throughout the deployments that were pretty serious. And, you know, every single one of them, I walked away and I was thankful for it, you know, and uh, but 2006, I experience of my life and I'm glad I overcame it and I you know I speak freely about it most people don't and I usually you know when I speak about you know post-traumatic stress and uh, you know, survivor's guilt most people don't understand what he is no. you know when you know when you know you have you know a marine you know that you really you know connect with and the next day you're picking up his head and oh. you know his torso you know and you just don't under you, you can't unsee that. It was challenging. Now, 2006 was a pretty dark, dark uh, uh, spot where I was on, and I was, you know, like I said, I was thankful that I had you know good people to talk about uh, and kind of you know just relate. You know, people that they were with me during that mission and during those times, and we were able to you know uh, find comfort and continue you know moving on in life. You know, and like I said. You know, I, I was not going to let those events define me. You know, I, I used them to refine who I became later on. You know, Aman, one of the things that I fully believe is that the more vulnerable, especially men, that we can be and the more transparent we can be about the, the struggles we've gone through, the stronger we become. You become unstoppable when you can, when you can sit and talk openly about the, the dark parts of your life because it inspires so many people because we all go through different dark spots, some more than others, some deeper than others. 
And we hide those inside of our heart, our heart and our soul. They just fester like a disease and nobody. So you don't ever get healthier and nobody else gets to be inspired and empowered by that. What you just did today and what you've been doing over the past several years is being open, vulnerable, transparent with all that courage, man. It's letting you release a lot of that pressure, but also you get to inspire and empower other people, man. I think it's I think it's wonderful. I, I wish you wouldn't have had to go through that. But if anybody's going to go through it, it's a it's a man like you that is strong enough to get through it and become come out a stronger man. Um, you had, you had mentioned to me, and if you don't want to share this on air, that's perfectly fine. But you had mentioned to be about, about you guys getting dropped in by helicopter in a, in a, at one point, And it was just, as soon as you hit the ground, it was just, it was chaos. Do you, are you okay telling that story on the air? Yeah, 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 I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, no, this is, uh, my deployment in Afghanistan in 2010, you know, um, uh, you know, I was not supposed to be there, you know, but uh, I ended up getting, um, so, um, you know, I got selected a first sergeant, and that means that you're out of the infantry. You become, you know, a pretty much an administrator for the Marine Corps, right? And uh, so I go to Okinawa, Japan, and I'm thinking, like, okay, my days of combat are, are over. You know, I'm not going to see combat again. It's, you know, I'm in Okinawa, Japan. And uh, in 2009, there was an incident uh, with uh, Dakota Myers. You know, he ended up, uh, uh, you know, getting, you know, he got wounded. Uh, he didn't get wounded. Marines that died. Four Marines died. He ended up getting the Medal of Honor, this, this young Marine. So, they, you know, the message came out in Okinawa, Japan, to be part of what's called an ETT, a better training team. You know, so... Uh, I was like, I wasn't familiar with that. We kind of had them in Iraq, you know, they kind of like were, okay, you know, you train the Iraqis, but this one, you know, you were supposed to get embedded uh, with a Kandak, which is, uh, you know, a battalion of, of, of Afghans. So, you know, I get the mission and uh, it's 21 members and uh, I got, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Michael Sherman. Who's great American? God bless us all. One, one of the best, you know, leaders I ever worked with. I mean, you know, those lieutenant colonels are amazing. And this guy was one of them. He's one of the special ones, you know. And uh, he, uh, great, great friend now, you know. And uh, we ended up getting 21 members, and there's only a few of us been to combat. Uh, the rest of them were pieced together from different jobs, you know, administrators, motor key guys. Uh, water mechanics and most of the guys, so we put into an extensive training to go serve in this embedded training team. So, uh, we fly out, uh, you know, in March of 2010, and our mission was to be embedded with, uh, uh, this called Marja, you know, with the Marja, uh, bottle Marja started in February, and, uh, that that AO was hectic. There's actually an XBO special about it with the uh, first battalion, six Marines. But uh, you know, we landed. Uh, so we in a, we in, a, in a, uh, Kandahar, waiting for our, our flight to uh, Marja. You know, and we are gonna go work what's called the Third Kandak First Brigade, the two uh, two one five Corp for the uh, Afghan uh, Afghan National Army. Attached to First Battalion, Six Marines, and Marsha, Afghanistan. And my way, you know, so we're sitting on this tarmac and this, you know, uh, airport, if you want to call it, you know, and, uh, um, out of the, of the helicopter that's picking us up, here comes Gerardo Rivera. And I managed to, I'm all like, I'm like, I'm like, you know, you know, it's funny how you deal with, you know, a lot of stress. We're ready to be inserted in one of the hottest, uh, the hottest place in the world uh, to face, you know, to go to war, you know, and I'm more impressed that Ferrazzo Rivera is getting out there for the, the helicopter. So I run out to him and I take a picture with him and I snap the picture of Ferrazzo Rivera and he's like, where are you going? He said, we're going to Mars. Like, oh my God, I just came from there. God bless you. Be careful. You know, and I was like, okay, that was interesting. And as soon as we, you know, we get everybody in the helicopter and as soon as we, you know, we're flying and you know, we start seeing Mars and you start seeing the poppy fields, you know, and all of a sudden that 50 cow opened up and it was just like, you know, straight out and like, you know, the gunners going off and we're getting shot at. Uh, we do a hasty landing, uh, you know, in one of the poppy fields. We literally like throwing, you know, gear out the helicopter. You know, we actually had a casket too from one of the local nationals. We push it out, you know, and, uh, 
we ended up, uh, you know, everything's breaking loose. And, you know, this is like woken Afghanistan type of thing, you know, and the firm base is under attack, you know, and they're like, you know, shots going everywhere. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, this young Marine is like, hey, you know, you guys are, can follow me. We follow through. Then rockets, you know, the helicopters take off. Rockets hit the firm base. You know, it, it was a, a, whole, a hell of a walk on the board, walk in Afghanistan. And for me, it was, you know, like, oh, I'm back home. Right. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, this is not, but for my only, about, about 18 of my 21 kids was a, holy crap, this is the real deal. You know, this is combat. You know, it, it was a hell of an experience. It's been from March of 2010, uh, you know, to July of 2010, there were average about 25 firefights in that AO around the, the, uh, the area. And I was there from March of 2010 uh, all the way down to December of 2010, serving with uh, 1st Battalion, 6th Marine, and 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines. Uh, between both uh, both battalions, they lost about 36 Marines total, were uh, killed in action during that time, and somewhere in the 300s of wounded in action. Uh, so I was fortunate enough that I was able to bring my 21 guys back. Uh, four of them got blown up by an ID, and they, they walked away. And that's thanks to the, the new vehicles that we had. You know, no more Humvees. We had the new Mapvees. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting, you know, that was my first walk on a board into Afghanistan. And so is that when you were getting shot at that, is that Taliban? Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, Marshall was, uh, it was, you know, surrounded by Taliban, you know, it was, it was the hub of the Taliban. It was one of the, mm -hmm. uh, the, the fiercest fight in 2010 in Afghanistan, you know, uh, uh we needed to take on, we, you know, it took us until July to, to took over, to take over, you know, Marja and, kind of give it in peace. And you know, ironically enough, you know, later on, you know, we give it back to them like in 2011 and the, the Taliban took it over again and had to take it back again and so forth, back and forth, you know. So it was, it was, it was just interesting to see because, you know, like I said, we fought hard. So my first, like I said, that was my introduction to Afghanistan, you know, in Marja. Uh, and towards December, I was able to walk in the streets without any gear, with any sappies, without... Uh, you know, where we had such a, such a great job. Marines did such a great job securing the town that it was pretty safe. You know, the schools reopened come August, you know, and there was kids going to school and everything, you know, but it took six, seven months of hard fought work, you know, a lot of, a lot of firefights, a lot of Marines die, you know, for that. And, and then we thought it was safe enough, give it back, you know, and then we lost it again in 2011, 2012 and became another, again, the hub. The reason being is because, you know, Marja, uh, it's a, it's a town that uh, it's got a lot of poppy. So they, they foster a lot of poppy and, uh, a lot of opium. You know, mm -hmm. one of my missions was to support DEA for the poppy eradication of opium was one of my missions that I had with them too. I was on top of training the Afghan army, you know, was, you know, that's one of our missions was to help out the eradication, uh, which had it to be Afghan led. Uh, in order to stop the eradication of uh, opium. You know, the, the thing is with, you know, obviously you, you have been awarded a lot of uh, medals and things of that nature. And I don't know, I, 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 the Bamboo Pack audience doesn't know this, but Amon was wounded six times, but he only accepted one Purple Heart. Yeah, that was the first one, I believe, right, when you were wounded? Right. Okay. Right. I mean, I think it's hard for us civilians. I have never fought in combat to understand the impact of what these young men and women go through and really what they sacrifice for all of our freedoms and liberty. It sounds cliche, but bullshit, man. This is a real deal. We see this on TV. We watch Saving Private Ryan. We might watch, you know, Blue Hawk Down or Black Hawk Down. We might watch these, these TV shows, but we're so disconnected from it. And these guys and these, these men and women have been there and for a mom many times and has been right in the heart of the thickest shit possible. And, you know, I, I, I mourn for the losses of our, our fellow uh, Marine and other military uh, individuals who died and gave their life and the greatest sacrifice of all for our country and for the world. And also for those who served and came back, you know, wounded, whether physically or emotionally or mentally wounded. It's a, it's a ball game that most of us just can't even possibly, you were talking, my mouth was hanging open. I'm looking, going on. This is almost unbelievable to me. It's a damn movie. 
It's a, it, this is a movie ready to be made. Your whole life is a movie. And it's a, <laughs> I mean, from being a kid, I mean, I'm looking at this going, where, where do we piece this together at, man? I, what I love most about you, Imam, is the story that you kind of came full circle. I mean, you, you crossed the border at age 13, you know, illegally, and then came over and then fell in love with our country, served our country with the greatest of honor. Then tell the story about you going back there and guarding the 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 the, uh, the border. Yeah, so <laughs> it's crazy because in 2019, we you know, the regiment uh, was assigned, uh, we had to give up a battalion to, uh, you know, guard the border from Tijuana, Mexico, down to Nogales, you know. So we had to provide like 400 Marines uh, down in the, in the border. So we sent first Staff Fourth Marines and, you know, part of First Marine Regiment. I was the regimental sergeant major at that time. Uh, you know, and it was just coming full circle. The ironic is that the guy that, you know, came across the border now it's overseeing the safety of the border. <laughs> it just, you know, to me, it, it was, it kind of like, you know, gave you perspective in life. And it kind of like when I was doing recruiting, you know, and, uh, you know, I always tell, you know, my recruiters, I was like, hey, don't discriminate who comes across those doors and want to become a Marine. Because that guy might become a sergeant major one day and he might be in charge of, you know, of you or some type of security for this nation. So, uh, you know, I was, I, I looked back and it was like, it was, you know, I was sitting there, you know, watching the president come by and like watching people coming visit the border, you know, and you're sitting there like, you know, reminiscing, that, hey, I came across there, you know, and you pointed right at the right same spot you came across, except that you're on the other side now. And, you know, and it's a mission. You're trying to, you know, protect, you know, the freedoms that we have, you know, and, uh, you know, to me, that was a hell of a, you know, hell of a lesson at the end of my life, my career in the Muslim Marine, you know, we're like, wow, you know, it really came in full circle, you know, and uh, I kind of like, kind of, kind of knew that it was time for me to retire. It's coming full circle, it's time to go, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a hell of an experience, you know, be, being there in, in, at the border and, and just, you know, watching, you know, uh, the Marines doing, you know, God's work, helping out, you know, or, or the border, you know, and I think we're going back again. I think they're, they just got reassigned that mission again, I believe, um, not too long ago. But that was 2019. Wow. That's, that's one of the coolest stories. That is the circle was complete right there. Right. Right there. Absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, you, know, you look back and you just kind of like start reminiscing about everything you've done and, when things have started coming in full circle, it's, you know, it's time to, to kind of move on, you know. <laughs> and, and I think it's important for all of us who are listening right now to think about, and I always say this, you know, put your life next to Amon's. Don't compare the two, but put it there and kind of follow his journey. I mean, from where he came from to, in all the challenges he's gone through in life from a little boy you know, his mother had to leave when he was six to go across the border illegally to become a maid. His father wasn't around at all. He was raised by some amazing grandparents, didn't have anything really, but very thankful, um, came across to the U.S., you know, ran across real quickly at age 13 and did the, the sprint and became an American by choice. And, and all the lessons he has served here. And then all of a sudden, at one point in life, he's looking at this border saying, that's where I crossed you know, a couple of decades earlier, and all we, we all can get there. We can all get to a point in our lives, no matter where we started, no matter what we've gone through, we can get to a point where we can look back at one day and say, wow, look at where the hell I've come from and look at where I am now. And I think the best way to, to say that is don't let where you are and where you've come from define who you are. Let those things refine who you're going to become. And I think that's one of the most powerful statements ever aired on this podcast. I want to ask you a question, Mom. If we could, if I had a time machine, I could fly down to Arizona right now, and you and I could sit there. We could zip off in this time machine till to the age when you were thirteen, and you're you just stopped at that Seven Eleven, and you're sitting there catching your breath. If you could talk to that young boy right now, what kinds of advice would you give your thirteen-year-old self? What words of wisdom would you share? Man, five simple words: Be you, always be you. <laughs> That's it. I wouldn't say anything else. You know, I mean, it's, it's you know, you got to trust your instincts. I think that, you know, all of us have this inner 
in, a, in a, our gut feelings that we have. And I, I, I think that, you know, I trust the mind. And I, I did okay. I, I think I did okay. I, I made it, you know, I made it through life. And don't get me wrong, made some big mistakes. But you know, one thing is like I always, uh, I always uh, try to look what's the lesson to have, whether good, bad, or ugly. It didn't matter. What is the lesson that I'm gonna get out of this? You know. So I went through a lot of a lot of things in my life, man. From you know, from losing a house when I was older, you know, to bouncing back and you know when they come in 2008 to combat in 2009 you know and you know all those stressors but i stay true to myself and you know i always follow my gut so that's the biggest advice i would tell my younger self is just be you always be you don't 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 follow anybody don't go with the crowd don't you know trust your instincts you know trust your gut you'll be okay <laughs> well i think you turned out pretty damn good buddy and I can't yeah. wait till you and I and John can get together one day and sit and talk. hundred percent, hundred percent. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do whether yeah. you have to fly to Michigan or we have to fly to Arizona. <laughs> one of the two. Well, you've had a <laughs> undoubtedly. I laugh because it's so obvious. You've had a very adventurous, unique uh, life from childhood until you know the present day. What's next for you? What's next for me, man? It's gonna be. It's interesting you say that. You know. Really uh, trying to figure it out. I, I, I think that uh, there are a lot of lessons in life, and I would like to, like you know, put him somewhere in writing. Uh, uh, you know, definitely, you know, go more in detail of this, you know, all the chapters of my life. I think uh, I know, and I think there are three distinct chapters, you know, in my life. You know, which is growing up in Guatemala. You know, the growing up in South Central and being a Marine for 26 years. So I, I, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, I, I would definitely would love to, uh, you know, either you know write a book or, or I don't know, you know, come out with something that I, you know, where I could be able to inspire people, you know. And uh, you know, in my time, you know, I, 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 you know, in the Marine Corps, we got acronyms. I don't know, you know, we got all these little acronyms that you learn uh, throughout your life, you know, and for me, you know, I came in with my own acronym, you know, uh, that, you know, that, you know, didn't define me, but he always reminded me what I needed to be. And I'll call it the let me, you know, L E T M I, you know, and, uh, I always say, you know, uh, you gotta be a leader. You gotta be an educator. You gotta train. You gotta mentor, but the most important thing you gotta do in life is inspire people. You know, and I live by that. But like the last 10 years of my Marine Corps career, I, this is what I live by was, you know, every day it was let me. Okay, who am I leading today? Who am I educating today? Who am I training today? Who am I mentoring today? Because number one, who am I going to inspire today? So I I think that I want to pursue that. And I want to be able to, you know, uh, you know, be able to pass that message, you know, uh, to generations that come. So I don't know. I'm trying to find how a way to do it. You know, so I think that's what's next. I think that uh, continue serving something that is bigger than me. You know, continue, uh, you know, show the kids that you know there's three things to be to me like that I learned in life to be successful is you gotta have love, passion, and trust. You know, love, love of what you do, the passion to do it, and trust the process. You know, and uh. That, that, that to me, that's, I think that's what's next. Be able to you know, send those messages, you know, across the board to individuals that might need a little bit of guidance through, uh, and enjoy retirement. You know, I mean, like, um, <laughs> you know, that's what I'm trying, trying to keep doing that. But uh, that's, that, I think that's what's next for me. Well, I can't imagine a better way to have a, I can't imagine a better what next. And that's the first thing I was thinking of. Why aren't you writing a book or why aren't you on a speaking tour right now? I can see Let Me being the title of a book. Or, I mean, in, in those three distinct chapters, each one of those those three chapters is an adventure. That's, that's almost a book all of it in itself. you got three books in one book in those three chapters of real life, Guatemala, South Central, and then 26 years in the Marine Corps, man. I mean, brother, I, I, and I just want to recap this real quickly. What, what Aman just said at the end here, be you, always be you. I mean, how many people say that? How many people actually live that? Now, I know all of you out there believe that's what we should do. Follow your gut. Follow your instincts. Don't listen to whatever all the chatter out there. There's so much damn chatter on social media and television and, and from all media sources, from family and friends. 
forget that. You be you. Be you. Always be you. And then just think about what he, the, the let me. I want to go through that acronym again. L-E-T-M-I. Lead, lead, be a leader. Be an educator. Be a trainer, be a mentor, and be inspire others. So a good question he asked himself when he was in the core, and you could ask yourself this every day, everyone, is who am I leading today? Who am I educating? Who am I training? Who am I mentoring? And who am I inspiring? And when you can do that and say that and answer those questions, that's when you're going back to what he said earlier. Then you're serving something much bigger than yourself. And that's where true inspiration comes from, is knowing you're serving as something greater than yourself. And Amon's entire life has been about serving something greater than himself. And he clearly got that from his grandfather and grandmother, then his mother. Is your mother still with us today? Yeah, she is. She's, you know, like I said, she is my, she's everything to me, man. I mean, she's my inspiration. She's, you know, like, you always figure out, like, you know, who, you know, who is the biggest impact in your life. And I'll tell you, my mom is, you know, I, could, I wish I had half the vision that she had. I mean, who, you know, who would have thought that I'm taking off six years and I'm going to give, you know, you know, the best life I can and the best opportunity for my children. I mean, I can't fathom that. I mean, I mean like I, I tell you, my mom's vision of seeing the future, like, hey, this is where my kids are going to grow up and this is where they're going to have the best opportunity, you know, in their life. And you talk about generational wealth. But to me, generational wealth is not about money. Mm-hmm. It's about the lessons that we get taught and what are, you know, what my mom did, you know, and I always say I didn't want to become an statistic because, you know, what my mom did was hard. She cleaned houses. And most immigrants, when they come to the United States, they settle for, you know, the, the simple job. And they're not trying to be like, uh, you know, being condescending about it, but that's the reality of respects. You know, we don't speak the language. We don't, uh, it doesn't mean we don't we have to stay there. It means they got to work harder, you know. And uh, my mom was the, the, the essence of that, you know, the biggest inspiration for me in my life of who I was and who I became, you know. And, uh, you know, yeah, she's with us, man. And she's she's amazing. You know, she's a great, you know, like I said, she's everything to me. And, you know, she's my, my biggest, you know, inspiration. Well, what, what is your mom's first name? Francis. Francis. Yeah, that's funny because being Hispanic, we don't have common in Hispanic names. <laughs> <laughs> well, is her last name Catalan? No, Vega. So her name is Francis Vega. Vega? Uh, is it V-E-G-A? Yeah, V, yeah, yeah. Oh. Victor Echo. It's Vega. Oh, Francis, I want to thank you. This is a shout out to you, man. Thank you for the sacrifice you made at a, at a young age and, and having to do what you had to do and I mean, you are the epitome of the American dream, and thank you for doing what you did and sacrificing your your life and your your livelihood and your time and energy to raise such amazing children like Amon here. Because this guy here is changing the world. It's all because of where it started, and that's you. So this goes. This one goes also goes out to you uh, today as well. That's some good stuff, brother. Any last final message you want to leave for the Bamboo Pack audience? Oh, no, thank you for having me, man. man. This is an honor, you know, and, uh, you know, I really appreciate it. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be in here, you know, and, you know, tell a little bit of a, my story, you know, and uh, having an audience that, you know, hopefully it will inspire somebody out there, you know, where, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you know, we got choices and, you know, we got to choose, you know, uh, to be the best that we can be, you know, not being a cliche about it, but, you know, you can't just sit there. And not make those choices. You have to make a choice, you know, and, and understanding that those choices come sacrifice. And, they, and in order to gain things, you got to sacrifice things. And you just got to realize, you know, how you're going to sacrifice it and, you know, why you're going to sacrifice and what are you going to gain out of it. But at the end, I think that, you know, follow, follow your gut, you know, follow who you are and what you're going to do. Be you. Always be you. Be you. Yeah. Brother, it was an honor. Please stay on after we're done recording. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes if you don't mind. But I just want to thank you, Amon. I knew you were going to be an amazing guest on here. And you did not. The only thing I thought is this guy's going to talk for three hours. <laughs> you know, I, I was trying to, you know, keep it between the rim of one hour and just kind of leave a lot of things. Uh, you know, there's thousands of stories. Like I said, I could go, you know, whatever chapter you want me to go on, I could talk to you all day long, giving you stories. You know, even when we were drill instructors with John, you know, I can give you a thousand stories with the recruits of of life, you know, life lessons that we had in the drill field. 
you know, and, you know, it's how did you impact people there from the recruiting stories, from the combat stories, you know, and, you know, there's so many lessons learned that are packed, you know, and I'm just trying to condense them all in a, in a more, you know, timely manner. Cause, you know, we, we, I, you know, we could talk for, you know, days and days. And, well, I, know, I think we, I think what we have to do is commit to a part two episode here coming up. <laughs> we got to do that soon. And it'd be fun if we could do it, if we could do it live and you and John be on the air at the same time live, that would be, that would be better yet. That'd be great, man. That'd be awesome. I mean, you know, just John is such a great American. I mean, he's you know, he's, he's, you know, the things he's done are, are, are out there as well, you know, and, uh, you know, I know he doesn't like to talk about it, but you know, he's a great American. He's a great leader, man. uh, He was one of the, was one of my bosses, you know, back in the drill field. And I tell you, you know, I will follow that man into any combat zone. Well, I got to spend, I think I told you, a couple of days with he and him and Gretchen. Um, I don't know when that was, uh, 10 days ago. And then I'm actually going to spend some time with them this weekend. So um, I'll, I don't know. The episode won't air by them, but I'll definitely, he'll probably sit and listen to it with me uh, before it airs over the weekend. Okay. So, <laughs> All sounds, right, brother, I want to thank you so much, Amon, for being uh, probably one of the most uh, this story was probably one of the greatest stories I've heard in this podcast over. I think we've done 91 episodes so far. Thank you for being such a, an, a, an amazing American, for one thing. Thank you for all you've done for the freedom and liberty that, around the world and for protecting our country and our border and, our, and, and, and saving us from some, from the, some of the evils out there. And just thank you for being such an amazing guest on the Bamboo Lab podcast. Hey, thank you for having me, bro. Yeah, pleasure. All right, everyone. I know you're going to like this episode, so please smash that like button, rate, review us, and please, by all means, th- send this to three people. And if you have somebody in your lo- in your life and your family who may have served in the military, this would be a good episode for them to hear that you know they're not alone with some of the PTSD and some of the struggles they face, and that there are so many amazing people like Amon out there who are standing up and talking openly and frankly and transparently um, about what they've gone through, the good and the bad and the ugly of life. Please share this. We'd love. I think we'd love to get this message out to more and more people. You know, we're in 55 countries now. We have subscribers. Let's get to 56, 57, 58 based on this episode. So everyone, get out there. I'll talk to you all in a week. In the meantime, get out there and sculpt your life. Strive to be, give and be your best. Show love and respect for others and for yourself. And by all means, man, live intentionally. Enjoy the journey. I love and respect and appreciate each and every single one of you.